The minute I met Tony, I knew who that guy was. On my second date, he brought me and my mother each a dozen roses and a, my father a $200 power drill. Not the typical story of young love. And I don't know if I loved him in spite of it. Or because of it. Welcome, my friends, to Soprano. Uh, cut to black of Soprano Sit Town. Oh, my goodness. My name is Jim Scampoli. I've seen every episode of The Sopranos. My name is Jacob Burrows, and I've seen 68 episodes of The Sopranos. At 68 hours of your life, you're never going to get back, Jacob, because you spent them watching an amazing show. And then another 68 hours or so discussing it. What good choices we make in life. Much like Tony Soprano. Or should I say Kevin Finnerty? Oh, my God, he's back. Yes. Wait, the, oh, sorry. Who made this, though? Oh, <laughs> this one <laughs> was written by Matthew Weiner, the creator of Mad Men, also directed by Jack Bender. Uh, originally aired March 26, 2006. Um, I believe I looked up. Let me see. Jack Bender. I don't know if he directed any other episodes. Oh, no. Of course he did. He did. Yeah, he yeah. directed uh, episodes in season three and season four. And last uh, last week we talked about how we had a Game of Thrones director. This fellow also directed a couple episodes of Game of Thrones, uh, notably The Door, a uh, memorable Ooh. episode, and Blood of My Blood, episodes uh, five and six of season six or yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know, makes... All these TV people, they all yeah. look alike to me. They all direct fantastic shows yeah. and make amazing things, and I just talk about them, yeah. never make anything. Here we are, season six. Well, he makes magic with a door in this episode as well, so I think it was all set up for that Game of Thrones. So there you mm. go. <laughs> makes sense. Now, uh, right. b- before we get into it, uh, I asked you last week if we had seen the last of Kevin Finnerty, and as you are now aware, we had not seen the last of Kevin Finnerty yet. Which yeah. is kind of like Infinity, right? Kevin Finnerty, Infinity. Don't you even? Yeah. Don't even try. <laughs> so now, what are your thoughts of seeing more of Kevin Finnerty? Even though it's definitely scaled back uh, yeah. from in comparison to the previous episode. I mean, my first reaction was, "Geez, more <laughs> with this shit." And maybe it's because of the way they cut it, where it's like Carmilla comes in and sit down, sits down, and then it's like slow and then a cut and then like oh we're gonna do this more how it's gonna be more of this a lot more maybe and so i wasn't excited about it because i like it made sense like looking back on the episode it it makes total sense to me what they did um especially the bit where he like transitions out into the real world again that was really nice but then like having him go to the buddhists and and all this stuff i was not excited for it it started feeling more like a dream sequence for the sake of it but again made perfect sense in the context of the episode still <laughs> yes yeah i mean there is a lot in this episode yeah like especially with the monks of you know you need to take responsibility uh you need to you know face the consequences um i mean they do have a comment of like you know, when he's saying, I'm not Kevin Finnerty, and they're like, you know, well, who's that tree? You know, we're not anyone in the, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, are we? Uh, but I yeah. still I, I still really love it. Uh, I love all the Kevin Finnerty stuff. It is a thing That's that, um, talking about, like, some of the fandom, I know I've been bringing that up here and there. I have seen a lot of people say that they always skip the Kevin Finnerty stuff and they can't stand it or whatever, but um, I love it. I think it's great. 
Uh, last week I loved it, and now I'm like, cool, where's the mob stuff? So I guess I'm transitioning into... Well, well we do get a little shitload of mob it stuff. It starts off immediately with mob stuff. I kind of feel like that's they why, absolutely No, but knew. I'm sorry to cut you off, yeah. but that's why I was like, cool, we're back in it, back <laughs> to mob stuff. I think that was like the sort of ricochet back into Kevin Fernity, because last time it was like, we start with Kevin, and we're going through it, and then it's this, and it's mob stuff, and it's scheming, and I like all that. I even like the Kevin Fernity stuff, but like the jumping back and forth, where like, oh, now I have to care about this metaphor, and this conversation that has no relevance to the real world, only to like his psyche and everything. And again, it was actually all fine, but I I did have a knee jerk reaction there of like, all right, Kevin, we're still yeah. going on with this. Now, what about this quote from David Chase where he says that, uh, frankly, I would not call those dreams. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you well is like as far as Sopranos and like the spiritual side of Sopranos, does this show kind of take a stance that there is like a purgatory and a heaven and hell? Like, what's your read on that? Um, you could, though I think last episode I said something similar. I mean, last episode of Cut to Black, I said something like, in these dreams, or I don't know, in this coma state, like, is it, although I was more along the lines of, it's not really a dream because he's not asleep, like he's, you know, it, I, I, I would agree with that, and I think the show is kind of doing it. I think it's in his head, but... It has, like, the real life is affecting what's happening in there to a degree where I feel like it has more meaning than just any old dream. Uh, do you think that David Chase is saying, yes, this is definitely the space between heaven and hell? Or do you think he's just, you know, being David Chase? Uh, I mean, he might not be confirming purgatory, but I do think, at least in the realm of the show that, yeah, I think spiritually Tony Soprano is somewhere. And uh, at least, like, I don't know if he's in his real life, he thinks that there's heaven and hell and purgatory. But I think in the show that this is more than just a dream. Uh, it's interesting because obviously the show deals a lot with death, um, but most of it is more along the lines of, you know, uh, like when Polly Walnuts went to the psychic and the psychic knows stuff that he shouldn't know or whatever, and you can kind of explain it away. But the show wants to give you this sense of like, yeah, you know, maybe. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so this is like an extended version of that in a way when he keeps seeing Gloria and all. Yeah, and you can. Le it's left open to interpretation, which I I also appreciate, and I feel like David Chase will just say whatever is almost the most controversial or annoying to anyone trying to interpret his work anyway. This is true. Um, but yeah, I mean, in my mind, the way I view the world in this show, it's just, it is a dream, but it's a different type of dream because it's a coma dream. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> yeah. extra layer in my mind. And then it's like, yeah, of course, because he's raised a Catholic. So, you know, heaven and hell. <laughs> but I, I do think, uh, at least from the stance of the show, I feel like, I feel like in the in the world of the Sopranos, which is obviously, you know, grounded in very much like our own world, except, you know, you murder people in broad daylight and beat them up and nothing happens to you. But I feel like this show has a stance that hell exists and Tony's going there. Um, and that maybe... Carmelo would disagree. Well, yeah. At least when he's on the cusp, she would disagree. And I yeah. feel like this is the universe potentially giving Tony Soprano another chance and could he learn from this and maybe will he make 
changes in his life from here. But I mean, I, that's yet to be seen. Um, going back to what I had mentioned last week, that this was inspired by uh, John Patterson, uh, who was in. He was a, one of the main directors. He directed all the finales of The Sopranos before season six. In between season five and season six, he did pass away. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess it's kind of tied in when he talks about. I frankly would not call those dreams. Uh, inspiring many theories uh, about Tony potentially moving through purgatory or some other section of the afterlife. Uh, asks now uh, about those episodes. Um, Chase says, alternate universes. Now, I have no proof. That's what I consider them as an artist. Something spiritual that's happening with Kevin Finnerty. Uh, it wasn't the same as in the test stream. The sequence was inspired by Chase's longtime friend, John Patterson, who directed many episodes of the series before dying of cancer in 2005. And at one point in his cancer fight, Patterson found himself in the hospital muttering the same words, who am I, uh, where am I going? Uh, Chase would then put, the uh, put that into the mouth of both Tony uh, and Kevin Finnerty in the alternate reality. The way my mind work, uh, mind worked, uh, Chase says, I wondered what he was seeing when he said that, that line between dream and reality and death and sleep and all that. I'm into that whole thing. So, <laughs> But <laughs> yeah, you're right. No, I do I, feel like he does kind of like to stoke the fires and, I mean, stoke the discussion. I know we've mentioned before that he probably hates the, the discussion, but I think deep down inside he loves that we're discussing the Sopranos. <laughs> yeah, I think it might also be, uh, I don't know if it's like a, different setting in your brain where i maybe it's my worldview or something that lets me not be that interested in dream sequences because i'm like <laughs> that's some bullshit <laughs> like <laughs> that it's and the similar if it's like unclear of whether it's heaven or hell and again i i i did like uh, the last episode a lot and i was trying to put my finger on it as we were discussing it um it reminds me a bit of like barton fink coen brothers in general but maybe specifically like being trapped in a weird hotel and like you're a different person and and yeah barton fink feelings in general but the real question we have to ask ourselves jim it, are we calling this perga theory the theory yes. that he's in in purgatory or are we calling it purgatory because it's his own personal purgatory that's the real question i think you could say either one honestly uh so i'm i like i i'm liking purgatory myself uh because okay. it sounds like rigatoni like food um, Yeah, that makes sense sorry so everyone hashtag in your responses here hashtag purgatory purgatory and rigatoni uh at shows what you know on twitter that's you the letter you i was trying to find because i like what you're bringing up about like disliking dream sequences and chase kind of talks about that a bit um, people who like dislike dream sequences are <laughs> fools <laughs> who have no bearing on this reality or the next okay yeah here it is he, this is from david chase when they're talking about um because even no, Alan Sebenwall asked him, like, there's definitely a segment of the audience who just wants a mob show. Uh, they want a whacking of the week, an asshole du jour. Uh, anytime you steered too far away from that, they said, this is not okay. This is not what we signed up for. Uh, even though the very first scene of the show is in a psychiatric's office. Now, or psych psychiatrist's office. Now, I think that's a little bit too dismissive because, I mean, it, it still is a mob show. And I get there is, like, an audience for that. But... What David Chase says, you know what it must be about the audience resistance to dreams and stuff like that? It's like you're presenting me a fictional world and I buy into the fictional world. I know it's not yeah. real. Uh, and now you're telling me that there's a world beyond that. So if I buy into that fictional world, uh, 
Uh, now you're telling me I have to go to some other level. Then it means what's gone before is not real. And I want to think what's gone before is real. Um, so well, you need David to... Chase should make video essays <laughs> on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's like, otherwise, what am I watching this for? I've got to believe it. Uh, I, I think that's fair. I mean, he's just kind of saying, yeah, like, cause we're already buying into Tony Soprano and now we have to be like, well, what about Tony's dreams and hopes? And then what about if Tony is someone else? Uh, and yeah, we're going inception layers here, uh, deeper and deeper into the mind of someone who's already fake. Well, uh, David Chase is a genius because I've never been able to put my finger on that. <laughs> and I think it does it exactly of why I don't love a dream sequence where I'm like, you already sold me on this. I'm in it. I'm I'm believing in it. And then you're like, even in my real life, if I wake up from a dream that's particularly intense and it lingers in my mind, I'm like, why, why am I feeling this way? I don't understand it. And it's and then you just shove it from your mind. And then it's like, oh, no, I need therapy. <laughs> that's what you need to explore your own dreams, Jacob. And I'm like, well, I'm having enough problems here in the real world. Like, I'm Tony Soprano heading out in the real world trying to get shit done. And people are just shooting me and I have coma dreams. I don't know. Well done, David Chase. That's a great uh, way to describe it. Fuck you. Yeah, David Chase can lay it all down for you. He does talk a little bit, too, about... Um how he didn't get why people <laughs> hated AJ so much, which is fun because <laughs> we were just talking about that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah, good stuff. I mean, I guess now we can get into um, the episode and like they, they started out for you, Jacob. They get right into the mob shit. They're not made. Right, I don't time. want this to perpetuate <laughs> this myth that I'm like, but where's the mob shit? <laughs> I, I, I do want concrete stuff. I do. Sorry for wanting real people talking to each other and doing things in my shows. Uh, but yeah, it does start with that. It starts with uh, Polly getting some intel that there's a, you know, there's a bit of a mob thing they can go and do. And they're like, great, let's go do this mob thing. But there were people there and they weren't supposed to be there. And then people get shot. Very mob, much enjoy. Yeah, yeah. We have Polly getting kicked in the balls. Uh, and then he's like, yeah, it's like, it's pretty brutal. Because then he's like stabbing the guy. Like he's crawling over to him and stabbing him. People are getting shot. Uh, yeah. And then they're like, ah, there's no money here. But nope, there's a bunch of money. Yeah, that was, I, I, I believed it. I believed there would be no money. So well done on that. And the whole like, ah, fuck it, let's just go. And then stripping the place down. I really thought that would be the thing you would be mad at Vito for, that there was no money. But then, of course, if there's too much money, that's an easy thing to, to have a conflict over as well, as the episode shows us. Yeah, because initially when it was going through, I was thinking that Polly was like trying to keep it secret because that's totally what I would expect Polly to do is to try to like, get that money and then be like, ah, there was only like two grand there. But then, uh, you know, yeah. it becomes apparent that he didn't do that. So I guess I, I sold Polly a little bit too short, uh, for, for, you know, what the stand up guy that he actually is. Yeah. I mean, he does always do that. Doesn't he? Whenever someone gives him money to give to someone else, he does give like half, but I guess he would I feel like he would brag about it as well. Or yeah. there was this other guy there who I don't remember, ever being around but i guess maybe he's been around for seasons i don't know this other guy um but yeah so they find it and uh, what else do we have we we have the very next scene we're back at the hospital aj and meadow show up aj gets a talking to i love the feeling of this talking to like yes are you rapscallion ah trying to grow up (laughs) i had the same thing in my notes because it's like it's interesting that this happens off screen too, by the way, because this totally seems like something they would want to spend time on, like showing him tr- like AJ hilariously trying to buy a gun. 
Uh, but yeah, like the, the Chris just ends in like a noogie, like, ah, you trying to, trying to kill your uncle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, 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 it's really kind of interesting that he's like, oh, you put them up to that, didn't he? You to Carmilla. Where, oh, like, yeah. They would never go to Carmilla with mob shit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting. His perspective on like parents keeping things secret when, Maybe he's not then aware of how much like is actually not known between Carmilla and Tony that he, there's a wall there as well because he just sees the wall to his parents so he thinks like yeah of course she knew yeah yeah like she found out and was like hey Chris go go tell AJ not to go buy a gun and kill <laughs> Uncle Junior please <laughs> <laughs> yeah she she tell him herself I think um, but she's preoccupied um, you know watching over Tony. Uh, there's some more talking about, you know, he's not out of the woods yet, but some good news, some bad news with this, uh, doctor who's sort of portrayed as not having the best bedside manner, uh, as we saw last episode and Carmilla goes in there and then we're in Kevin Finnerty's hotel room. Well, we do see Meadow lay down with Tony in his hospital bed, which, uh, we find out later one of the nurses is really annoyed about. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, then we check back in and uh, Tony's, well, Kevin Finnerty is in the in the hotel that we last saw him in. He gets a summons uh, and drives out to speak to the monks. And, uh, you know, like we said before, there's a lot of like, you need to take responsibility. They're laughing at him when he's saying that. He's not Kevin Finnerty, and they're monks, so they're like, who is anyone? You know, anyone is anyone. It, it, it would kind of be perfect if you were a monk. You could take anyone to court and just start hitting them with some philosophy if they try to fight you on it. Uh, it is kind of funny that they laugh at him for saying he, has all, he's, he might be getting Alzheimer's. Um, but again, you know, they mentioned that one day we'll all be the same as Tree. So who are we in the grand scheme of this uh, big world called life? Yeah, and I mean, they're like, you know, someone has to take responsibility, like you said, and they're like, well, I can't do that. And then like, but then the the lawsuit proceeds and it's like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. I'm not Kevin Finnerty. Uh, but then I suppose all of this is really meant to give him some weird existential wobbliness even in like he's in a he's in a quote dream and he's questioning this layer of reality as well. Than we are as well. And he's like, am I Kevin Finnerty? At this point, I'm like, he may as well be. Yeah. I mean, I don't know this guy. <laughs> like, whoever he's uh, pretending to be here, maybe he is Kevin Finnerty. So you, David Chase has a point there about the levels of reality inceptioning down and everything. Because, I mean, it's way later, but we go back and he's like at the bar again going like, what if I am Kevin yeah. Finnerty? And the guy's like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, it's like, all right, don't talk to me anymore. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. and I mean, uh, some other people kind of broke it down too. Like, between these two episodes, when he's Kevin Finnerty, um, there is constant hints that he needs to turn his life around. Like, his his other Carmela wife on the phone is telling him, you know, you didn't even want to take this trip, you know, which could be, what, getting shot by Junior. He's too wrapped up in his work. This is partly your fault, they tell him. And, of course, the monks keep telling him he needs to take responsibility, face consequences. Uh, the doctor in the last episode tells him that he needs to speak to his doctors back home. Could that be Melfi to discuss these dark mm. areas in your brain? So, right. yes, you need to get your shit together, Tony Soprano, once you find yourself, and maybe you'll come out on the other side. 
Mm. Speaking of different sides, reality, what is real, what is not. Jim, one thing that is real is our death counter. And we, before we oh, forget, that's right, Jesus, we we totally glossed over that, didn't we? Yeah, it was just a quick three deaths, real yeah. quick. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, how many deaths were there? Was it three? Yes, it's the superintendent guy and the two Colombian guys. Oh my so. goodness! Yeah, I need to pull my thing up real quick. Yep. See, this is when you get too caught up in dreams, you forget about the important things. In yeah, life. because you Sound can't. Effects. You know, we've we've mentioned like the people that are too into like the uh, uh, the mob stuff or the whack of the week. But you also can't yeah. be too into like, oh, the symbolism. <laughs> oh, this is what they mean, or this the framing. Jim, you got to be people both. Listen to <laughs> some people listen to our podcast and they hear that. <laughs> no, absolutely. Judging by our iTunes review, please do uh, leave a review on iTunes. Uh, or sorry, Apple Podcast for Cut to Black. By the way, we'd really appreciate it. But I'm just, I'm just saying, you got to be both. You got to be like, hell yeah. yeah, you know, shoot them, and then also like, hell, the trees, the trees again. Um, hold on. My stupid soundboard's not opening, of course. I got my counters up, but I'm just trying to... The sounds are the most important part. (laughs) Agreed. They are the most important part. Okay, yeah. So you said there was, uh, there's three? Yeah. All right. Let's Let's do do it, it. then. Gatsada Malanga! Gatsada Malanga! Gatsada Malanga! Why is it so funny? <laughs> because now it's different now. It, yeah. This, this will prope- propel my amusement with this sound clip uh, for the rest of <laughs> the show, I would think. Because now I connect it with that moment of him standing there with the gun and no teeth. Like, yeah. like oh, so good. I mean, because we've been using that sound. Because, uh, I mean, we didn't have the counters up till maybe season two. But maybe even by the end of season one. But it was still a while ago. And I, I've been... I've been relishing, waiting for you to find, to finally know where it came from, and here we are. So yeah, are we at sixty now on the death counter. That's right. We yep. hit a round number. Everyone applaud. Yep. Just like we're coming up to, we're coming up on uh, like uh, one per episode with with these multiple ones. Like because we're on episode yeah. sixty eight, we're at sixty deaths, and I know other counts. Uh, like we we every every time there's a controversial one, we discuss it and decide what we're doing. So this is our count for how many deaths there are. I'm sure more like characters in general off screen people who haven't been in it whatever die but 60 official important show deaths so that's still a lot of mob stuff in there everyone yes yeah absolutely and 16 on the walkouts if you're keeping track that's right (laughs) so uh yeah well back to life back to reality we have uh what do we have yeah Uh, well we have uh carm runs into melfi at the grocery store um yes which that was, it's a nice way to kind of keep Melfi involved, and we see it more later in the episode, uh, and plus the clip to open the show. Um, and I'm trying to think if there's anything major here. It's just kind of like, you know, she's heard the news, and, you know, Carmela looks frazzled, which is, you know, to be expected. She's been, like, basically living in the hospital. She has to, uh, I just remember she does have to go there because AJ didn't, pick up coffee is that why this happens isn't that the thing and yes. he kind of freaks out about it uh yeah but yeah she's kind of just Silvio at some okay. Silvio at some point is like oh yeah send some coffee over but she's already gotten, gotten <laughs> it herself i think and uh but she's also putting up the front of like because i think melfi's like oh if you need anything you need to talk and she's like oh no, of course not i got plenty of people you know plenty of people to talk to don't even worry haha <laughs> you know all smiles and walks away but as we see throughout this episode you know this is 
obviously a big deal, and it's really wearing down uh, poor Carmilla, which I do. Yeah, I, uh, go ahead, you first. I was going to say that it, it the two points of this scene is to introduce like the contact between the two of them, so it makes sense when we have the bigger scene later, and also just in general to establish the sort of veneer that she has plastered, like, everything's fine, we're going to be okay, veneer over all the fucked up emotions. And, and I do want to say, like, not to throw shade on other actresses, like, I mean, one of the biggest ones that comes to mind is, um, is it Anna Gunn that plays Skylar on Breaking Bad? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because we've we've brought up the comparison in the past before of, of when shows like this that have the anti-hero bad guy main character and then they have like the wife that the audience kind of hates wrongly, like well, not yeah. supporting there. But I, I feel like the Carmilla character works much better than 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 like the Skylar character or even on like the shield there's the Corinne character that's Vic Mackey's wife and I mean there are other shows like this but those are like the big ones that come to mind but mainly because I mean not just Edie Falco who's great but like moments like the um the when she's in with Melfi later on and there's a little bit more back and forth I'd say with Carmela yeah. where she's kind of more culpable and with like someone like Skylar which I still think is a fine character but they lean a little bit too much more into her being like kind of the conscious or the the paragon of virtue even though she yeah. still takes like it uh, gets involved in some of the more nefarious activities but I don't know like I thought between these past few episodes especially this season uh, it really kind of solidified the Carmilla character as such a s- stronger, more well-rounded character in this type of show. Yes, I think, uh, weirdly, I had a very similar thought of thinking of Breaking Bad while <laughs> watching this episode, probably because we had some uh, chatter about it on Twitter. If you want to have a discussion mm. with us there on Twitter, please do feel free to tweet at Shows What You Know. That's Shows With A U. Uh, well, no, it's no, it's you with a you. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. What's going on? Uh, am I awake? Who am I? Where am I going? Uh, where am I going with this? Uh, yeah. So I was also thinking something similar, actually, in that scene. I was like, holy shit, she's killing it. Like, because I, did I say this last episode or did I just think this after watching this that, uh, you know, her back must be real sore from carrying this whole season so far? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, absolutely. she's doing a fantastic job last episode and this episode. And uh, yeah, last week I said like, wait, what award did she win for this? Because there must have been some, uh, you know, maybe not as dramatic of a speech there in the in Melfi's office, but still uh, really, really good stuff. And, and probably, yeah, some of the best parts of the episode for sure. Yeah, and I, I'm supposed to be a little bit more fair to something like Breaking Bad. Um, there was definitely more opportunities earlier in the Sopranos run where they didn't make a lot of use of Carmilla. So... I mean, just to kind of keep it fair for all the fans that think we're like taking shots or I'm taking shots at Skylar or Breaking Bad, because there's times when I think we're like, what's Carmela doing? Uh, What's happening? Oh, yeah, Carmela's back and she loves Furio. Uh, We've talked about that a lot. (laughs) Like, she's doing this again, huh? Okay, cool. Another season of this. (laughs) Uh, Um, But yeah. So then we have what? We have Silvio. uh, Oh, we're at Silvio's house and he's kind of getting the Tony Soprano treatment because now we have Silvio's wife answering the door for Benny. Benny's picking him up to be the driver. uh, And, you know, Silvio's acting boss. 
And it's hilarious the way this episode... I mean, because this episode definitely leans a lot into humor uh, with the mob stuff. And it kind of does show that this family, this New Jersey crew, glorified crew, cannot really get along with uh, or like exist without Tony at the top, you know? Yeah, it's true. And I mean, it almost makes Vito have a point when he's like, I'm a young guy, like, and I'm healthy. So like, I'm not if I were to be the new boss, I wouldn't be going anywhere because that's exactly the problem that fucking bosses keep dying or getting taken <laughs> out or comas. Um, so then, and then everything becomes uneasy. And I mean, that's New York as well. Like that's what causes all of the problems. So you want someone young and healthy, not a Silvio or indeed a Tony. Um, although Tony did get shot to be fair, that way he's yeah. not in there for, you know, cardiac arrest, but it is, you're right. It is the Tony Soprano treatment. We even visually, like the way we enter the house and and Silvio sitting there eating in his uh, dressing gown, <laughs> like it's more flashy than Tony's dressing gown, but it's the same thing. They have a kitchen island there, and like she's swanning around, and she gets to talk him up a bit, saying how like oh, but wh- what if you know? God forbid, everyone keeps saying God forbid because you know worst to the, comes to the worst. Hey, we got to think about it. Uh, we don't want chaos, so maybe you and Sylvia's like, oh, I don't even want to think about it. But you know, I was actually considered to step up. What's that about, Jim? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I like how the trajectory you feel that's going to happen is that Silvio. I mean, he is giving a foe like, ah, never thought about it. But you, the trajectory I expect to happen is that by the end of this episode, Sylvia's going to be like, I like this power. Ha ha. Give me all the power. I don't care if this sure. t- Tony Soprano wakes up, but it like goes the other way for him as we see. But yeah, and it's, it's not quite, it's not quite Janice with Richie when she's like, you should be the boss or, you know, you're making a garbage man's salary after all the stuff you've done. But his wife is, you know, pumping him up a little bit. Like, you know, God forbid, like what, you know, what if, but this is good and you fit the role. And, you know, he's saying, oh, I never thought about it, but I don't think he was ever almost bumped up because at least from what we saw, Tony was always pulling the strings behind the, uh, behind the scenes to either take over uh, for Jackie Sr. or what he ended up doing by propping up Uncle Jr. and secretly running things. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, Silvio's correct. He is good at, like, the strategy, behind-the-scenes stuff. Maybe the pressure of being boss isn't something that anyone else uh, realizes yet, which is why, you know, I think Tony gets to have that moment um, with Johnny Sack when he's like, ah, fucking, can you believe this shit? Like, all the shit we have to deal with, and everyone's always annoyed that they're always complaining. But, hey, Silvio, it's not so easy, is it? Well, and (laughs) even even kind of vindicated, because I think it was, like, around that same episode with with all due respect, when Tony had to throw the all due respect back to Silvio of, like, hey, it's not, it's pretty lonely at the top. Yeah. It's true. Um, so continuing the comedy of the mob shit, we get to the hospital and Silvio can't like breathe because of all the flowers. <laughs> Polly wobbles in because he got kicked in the nuts. I mean, <laughs> it's some real comedic stuff going on. Arguments start cropping up over what are we doing with this money? What are we doing with that? Uh, you know, they, they're basically like squaring it up there, right there. There's this big conflict between Bobby and Vito as well. Because, yeah, Bobby and Vito are arguing about Junior's thing. And then yeah. there's also the money. And, man, two well, things at once. Ah, I think I'll yeah. 
have an asthma attack. Well, and it's also a nice reminder, like for anyone, you know, when tragedy happens to you, it's horrible. Or if you pass away or someone in your family passes away, it's horrible. And you have this extended family that's very concerned. But as people on the outer circle, life has to go on. And, you know, they're even in the hospital just squabbling over other shit. Because, you know, maybe it's not that way for someone like AJ or Carmilla because it's so close to them. But for everyone else, you know, business as usual, plus maybe potentially more if, God forbid, Tony doesn't make it out of this. What what can I get out of here? Yeah, exactly. Um, so we do, of course, have um, Tony back at the bar. As we said, he's wondering what's going on. He sees the beacon there still outside the window. And then AJ's eating pizza. And like we said, Sylvia gets ambushed in the bathroom as well. <laughs> and there's all sorts of strategy going on here. So he has to try to, you know, divvy that up, breaks half and half. And they, I, th- I think Vito comes in like, hey, what about Carmilla? And then like that sort of primes it into, oh, yeah, we got to make sure, yeah, the Carmilla gets Tony's share, which no one really wants to do. Yeah, yeah, and then I, I kept, I was almost expecting again, like something to happen, change with Silvio here, like of when he, you know, had them steal the tile or whatever it was from the job site. And I don't know if they're just purposely teasing me with that or I'm just looking for something that's not there. But Silvio's kind of steadfast, at least the whole time, that no, of course, we'll take care of Carmilla. But then as we see throughout the episode, Vito and Polly, that starts to become like a, well, what if Tony dies? What's the point? You know, why why are we taking care of Carmilla? Because, uh, yeah, no one's going to look out for you in the end, I guess. Carmilla's kind of right in what she's been complaining about basically the past series of, you know, what if something happens to you, I'm fucked. And we're starting to yeah. already see seeds of that here. Yeah. And then we get to maybe my favorite storyline. Oh, yes. Of- Yes, which I had forgotten for a second was in this. Um, The writer, who we haven't seen in ages. I (laughs) don't remember the details of what happened, if I'm being honest. Like, do you? He, uh, remember, he, well, because he was what? Chris's sponsor. Then Chris started taking action from him again, gambling. Then he was like, oh, the poker game. Uh, It ended with him being deep into Chris. He had to give him his car. And then he went, he was going to rehab. But like they, he still owed like a bunch of money or whatever. That's kind of where we left it at. Right. And yeah, because he took his car, but like (laughs) dropped him off and like, call me if you need anything. Yeah. Whatever. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So now they show up in like a writing class and obviously great moment to sort of plant some, some, talk there about like we all mythologize our inner narrative like basically be us <laughs> and uh, yeah semi throwing digs at writers which writers love to do um and uh yes yeah, so they just come in and uh give him a give him a little love tap drag him out into the car hilariously demand that he write a screenplay <laughs> which is the best thing ever i love that so much is that is this uh, not the best thing it's so perfect yeah because chris has this idea and he's gonna wipe the slate clean if uh yeah jt dolan writes the script for him it's saw meets godfather 2 and uh, one of the interesting breakdowns i was reading on this episode kind of points out i didn't think of it this way but i guess they hammer it home by the end is that would yeah. Chris would Chris go back to this if Tony 
wasn't in the hospital because we've we've known that you know since I think the pilot uh Tony has not been about this writing Hollywood type of shit but now it's almost like Tony's in the hospital for like 2 days and I mean Chris does have a lot to work out cuz he's obviously he's got Tony in the script for the most part he's got Adriana in the script the way he talks about how you know his cunt fiance was banging his boss behind his back and he needs to get revenge on everyone so i mean he is working through his stuff but do you think this is something he'd be pursuing if tony was not in the hospital it's a good question because we don't see anything that directly propels him to do this yeah like we don't see the inciting incident of this he does yell in the car that like people are seeing huge profits with these digital (laughs) horror movies douchebags who never wrote nothing and they say like that saw thing ah they earned this much worldwide and like i mean he's not wrong as such but i mean he's obviously wrong um and yeah it's interesting because you're you're right it it probably wouldn't have happened because tony would have told him to do something it is kind of really funny if you think about it that everyone's sort of going like who's going to be next in line who's going to be the big boss and Christopher's always been, like, the guy who Tony <laughs> wants to take over after him. And he's out making a horror film <laughs> yeah. while everyone else is sort of trying to get in there. He's indirectly trying to get out by investing in something that he cares about. And, like, it's like you said, he's working through his own feelings. And towards the end, what he says to Tony is that, like, you kind of owe me this because, you know, the whole car, the, the sorry, the whole Adriana thing, like... It's it's I think that's more telling than anything else that the rest of it is like Paulie's all about getting as much money as possible. Vito and Bobby, they're both kind of like, maybe I should get more power and run things. Christopher is like, I should make a film. I'm great at films. <laughs> at least he realized he shouldn't write it. So, yeah, that's that's a step in the right direction. That's some growth. That's some growth for sure. Uh, I want to stay with this storyline for a second because yeah. I want to bring up when we get to the meeting later. And my my favorite thing about the storyline is that the writer, he's like, obviously, like, this is insane. Like, but then once he starts writing, you can tell that he's kind of into it. And it's like, he's pitching it and like, no, no, we're going to do it like this. Because isn't it cool if this? And like, he's not pretending because he's afraid he doesn't have a gun to his head anymore. He's <laughs> like, because he, he's gotten into it. And this reminds me of two things, Jim. Yes. One thing is from Jim and Them, which you can find at jimandthem.com, where years ago on the podcast, you came up with the idea that it would be a great business to basically follow people around and threaten to kill them if they don't follow their dreams. <laughs> yeah. You're never going to have writer's block because if you don't write, someone's going to come and kind of shoot at you a little bit. And yeah, a couple of the first clients are going to die because people need to know this business means, you know, it, it mean business. Um, so it reminded me of that, basically the scene in Fight Club where you're like, be a veterinarian, but like you do it in real life and make people write their screenplays and everything. So it reminds me of that. Yeah. And it also reminds me of uh, a little show called Blank Meets Blank, Ooh, which you will soon call. be able to find at showswhatyouknow.com uh, slash blank meets blank. Uh, it's not up quite yet, but we have recorded a bunch of episodes. What is this show that I'm talking about, Jim? Why would it remind me of this? I mean, I, I honestly I didn't think of it till now, but yeah, he actually does the meets thing as well. It they basically yeah. if if you think this is kind of fun, uh, this is the show that we've been working on. It's it's basically this where yeah, Chris pitches the Saw meets Godfather two, and then they start laying out the plot 
and yeah, it is great. Like that's it's a great point too, how he kind of just gets into it because he is a writer. Yeah. So at the end of the day, like you're in a room pitching an idea, uh, given you have to be like, you know, so he's called the butcher, and then Sylvia has to be like, no, he ain't. <laughs> and may I remind you of a per- of a friend of ours who this and that and it's fun that we get to have little carmines back as well because he's a hilarious fool and he gets to bring up like what some other productions that he's been involved in and even jt kind of like rolls his eyes at that uh but yeah this is all great stuff and what a great uh connection to yes blank meets blank coming soon to uh to shows which you know.com yes that's right so basically what we do there is Actually, you cut out for a second there, so I didn't hear you, Jim. Oh. Maybe you already explained this, but we have two hats, and we draw out two random things, and then we basically do this. We brainstorm the plot of something that has been completely randomized, like much like Saw means meets Godfather 2. <laughs> so we've done some like, yeah, the first episode out soon will be... Uh, uh, die Hard meets fake news. <laughs> and then we just make up a whole television show based on that. And much like this writer fellow, it's like, what a crazy idea. But by the end of each episode, I swear we're like, this would actually make sense. Like, we could sell this. <laughs> this is a great idea. So, it's a great show. <laughs> yes. So it reminds me of both those things. So obviously, I really liked uh, this storyline. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I like... I mean, I, I've always liked when they've had the Chris being a writer trying to get in Hollywood stuff. So I welcome it back uh, as kind of a uh, another plot line to see throughout the season. Um, so going back to the, I think back to the first scene where they pick up JT. Then we have Silvio. We have a shot of just Silvio just kind of hanging out in the ICU, reading the paper like over the counter, like the nurse's counter, like drinking a coffee. Uh and, you know, that like you could tell, tell that the nurses are kind of annoyed by these people that kind of keep coming in and out. Uh, Carmela's in there with Father Phil and Tony. And I believe she brings him in here. And I would almost think Tony wouldn't want this. Like, Tony doesn't want his guys to see him in this state because you know how the, mo- yeah. the mob is. It's very alpha. And even, like, Silvio kind of winces for a second because you're seeing... I mean, whether it be your boss or your friend or whatever, someone's in a rough, you know, on a hospital bed, in a coma, tubes and stuff coming out of their mouth, their arms, wherever the fuck. So it's going to be rough to see. Yeah. Well, Silvio, I get. Silvio, bring him in. Yeah. But like Polly, and it's like, <laughs> so I mean, it's clear though. in the text of the show. Polly's there talking, and it just raises his heart rate. <laughs> and he's hearing him and banging on the door. That's hilarious. There's a lot of hilarity in here to then turn. I mean, I'm, I'm just, just to give a, a glimpse of the future of the episode here, where like the seriousness of the moments before he wakes up, uh, even mixed in with the absurdity of like... The, the discussion that's happening and, and the Buddhist monks and everything. And then when he sees someone who looks a little bit like Livia and like seriousness of that, it's in such contrast to him banging on the, the wall and Polly's there just talking yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Uh, then we have Vito. Uh, Vito's at dinner with Phil and then we find out he has a connection. I mean, I, I don't know if we've heard this before or not, but we see that his wife is what, like Phil's sister, I believe. Yes. Um, that's news. I think. Uh, yeah, so, and Vito's wife is played by Lorraine Bracco's sister as well. That's why she looks so much like right. Melfi. Uh, so, very yes. incestuous, whether it be the meta <laughs> or, or within the show. Um, and I like this because yeah. they start, like, 
we're getting the vibe that there's unrest in the ranks because Vito's talking to Phil, and it's always kind of a red flag when someone from Jersey is talking kind of out of school to someone from New York. But then even yeah. in the midst of it, they're like, what are we talking about? <laughs> I forget what we're talking about. And then he's like, oh, yeah. Anyways, giving money to Carmela is money down the drain. Uh, it's like they kind of <laughs> they kind of even forget their own bullshit in the middle of it. Yeah, it was almost like, are they trying to intentionally keep it casual? Or are they really just like, wait, what are we doing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, who cares? <laughs> like, I, I guess I land more on, like, they're both kind of talking about their own bullshit. Yeah. And so the, then the other person talks for a bit. And then you're like, wait, what are we talking <laughs> Oh, well, let's get back to my bullshit. That's kind of a feeling I got from it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then we have Polly Ice in his balls, and he's complaining about Carmela as well. Uh, he calls her like the little princess of New Jersey. And then in a hilarious fashion, we, in the next scene is Polly again clipping coupons, which is great because it's like he just what they, they I think they said they cleared like a million. And I mean, even if yeah. he's kicking up, even if they split it and then they're kicking up 100 G's, I mean, he's still got a few hundred thousand, but he's clicking, clipping like Band-Aid coupons. Uh, and Silvio asked to kind of call like I really get the the kind of weight and annoyance it would be to be a boss because all these guys are all about, ah, the loyalty, this thing of ours, the family. But you know, if you're not like, if you're not already like solidified as a strong leader, you have to constantly be on people's asses like this. And especially someone like yep. Polly, cause they're all, uh, they're always like, Oh yeah, of course I'm on my way to the thing. That's right. Kind of like when Tony yeah. was chasing Phil down and he caused that car accident because he needed that. He was trying to get that money from him. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's such a poly thing to do as well. He He's such a unique character um, at this point. I mean, with the thing of like taking a painting of your boss, I believe he genuinely was like, hey, that's a nice painting. And then like his reaction to having a painting of his boss and like painting over it, that's unique. But then also just small things like, no, he's always going to be clipping coupons. Like, he's <laughs> Scrooge yeah. McDuck in a weird way. Like, he's going to sit on this in his mattress, and he's going to keep being the same stingy weirdo that he is now. Uh, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, then this is when Carm comes back into the hospital room, and uh, the nurse kind of scolds her for pulling out some of his tubes by laying in bed with him. And uh, I think she just says, oh, that was my daughter, and I feel like, you know, uh, intimacy helps. So there you go. Take that. And she's reading a Sue Grafton book, which I had to look up just because that's what you do when you uh, are discussing the Sopranos and do a podcast. It's uh, shit. I had it up a second ago. What was it? It was G for she writes these like detective books. Oh, G for gumshoe is the book that she was reading, uh, which is it's it's the seventh novel in Sue Grafton's Alphabet series of mystery novels. Features Kinsey Milhone, a private eye, based in Santa Teresa, California. Kinsey Milhone meets fellow investigator Robert Dietz when someone hires a hitman to kill her. While Kinsey's being stalked, she uncovers an, insol- an unsolved murder that haunts the lives of her clients, Mrs. Irene Gersh and Irene's mother, whose alias is Agnes Gray. So there you go. That's how it all ties in. That's how it all comes together. Am I wrong, Jacob? <laughs> So there's seven books so far, and it's G for gumshoe. Yeah. So there was A for, <laughs> yeah, well, I, there's got to be one for every letter, right? So that's, what is A for? I need to know. Oh, shit. I just had it up. I just closed it. 
That damaged him. Did she? Did you think she fi- finished the whole uh, the whole alphabet That's series? That's exactly what I need to know now. <laughs> like, I know it's not really relevant, but now you started talking about it, and now I want to know. F is for fugitive. Was uh, pers- a f- was for a is for alibi. B is for burglar. C is for corpse. Ah, uh, she did finish. She finished. Oh no, she released Y in 2017. So we haven't gotten Z yet. She started she these all- in 1982. Holy shit. She died in 2017. Shut Fuck. your mouth. Are you kidding me? Yeah. No. So we never got Z? <laughs> no. Or this Z? Is terrible. <laughs> what would it have been? Nah, oh. does she have a, cha- a, a kid? It's always a, a famous author's kid's going to come in and write the last one, and it's bad. Like, yeah, that's true. We get Brandon Sanderson in here. Let's fucking wrap this shit up. I'm just reading the uh, Wikipedia <laughs> article of why is for yesterday now. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry, oh man, that is that's I didn't even realize that. That's kind of a bum out. It was a bestseller. I mean, not that that necessarily means much, but it was at, at the top of the list here. So, yeah, I was just looking for if they said something about Brandon Sanderson on here, but it doesn't look like it, Jim. Sorry. Well, hold on. Uh, Grafton. <laughs> Welcome to Cut to Black. A uh... <laughs> okay, now it's Sue Grafton podcast. It does mean, uh, will Sue Grafton Z is for Zero ever be published? Because uh, in December 1st, they said they will never be published. But then in January of that year, oh, yeah, forget it. No one cares anymore. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> this has run its course, much like the <laughs> Alphabet series. All right, so it's a gumshoe book. I mean, that's kind of appropriate, I guess. Yeah. Uh, who cares? Uh, we also go into Tony's mind again. Sorry, Purgatoni. Hashtag Purgatoni. <laughs> yes. And he's sitting on his bed and talking to his wife. And the doctor said, uh, concussion. Don't worry about it. And he finds a thing for a family reunion. Yes. Yeah, for the Finnerty family reunion. Um, then we kind of check back. He's in the hospital bed. They're still, you know, checking his pupils. Then we get the scene we kind of already went over uh, with the pitch scene with Chris brings JT into a room full of mobsters to, <laughs> to pitch this idea uh, yeah. for the Saw Meets Godfather 2. I do like what was the original title they had for it? Shit. I'm, I mean, Cleaver's great because it's just yeah. Saw, but it's Cleaver. So it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Um, yes. So what did he, I almost have it here. Uh, he's taking revenge. Like you said, it's like, it's, it's Christopher basically. Oh yeah. It was, right now it's called pork store killer. Yeah. Oh, that's I'm what thinking I'm pork store killer. <laughs> <laughs> that was Christopher. And then he had a note and changed it to Cleaver, which is a good name. Yes. Yeah. It's nice and clean. Um, yeah, because then what, what happens after this here? Because we, we kind of already went over this. I, I do love the, you know, they call him the butcher. No, they don't. Uh, we have um, Artie shows up at the hospital. And, That's you know, right. he's, he's brought some food. Polly's there talking to Carmela. As we see throughout this episode, like, Polly and Vito kind of butter up karma a bit as they're not going to give money to her or or will they and then in the midst of that she sees aj on the tv uh when he's yelling like fuck you or get the fuck out of here uh out the window and she goes home and find and like geeks out on him uh and yes. i mean it is really it is pretty mean but not that aj yeah. doesn't deserve it but it's like everyone's going through stress right now uh she's still his mother but, you know, Edie Falco, once again, kind of, like you said, carrying this season on her back. 
Yeah, uh, I feel like the first scene in the hospital is basically connective tissue to get us to this, uh, to show that she's always there. And then, like like they were saying, uh, well, the, the Meadow, or I think, says it here that like she was bound to snap. Like it, something had to do it and push her over the edge, and uh, she does. And like you said, pretty mean. Like you're across to bear. Yeah. <laughs> and like actually, like hysterically breaking down, and then like. Uh, also yelling at her own parents. There's a real cross-generational tantrum going on of everyone yelling at everyone. Even though she's right, and it is obviously upsetting, She's it, it, like you still feel for AJ when he's like, fuck all of this, and yeah. he runs out of there. Uh, and you feel for her as well, and she goes and like actually breaks down completely there um, in her bedroom, crying into a pillow, basically. Uh, yeah, good, good stuff. Yeah. And that's it's obviously like she needed to get to this breaking point so we can get her into therapy so that she can grow from this. Hashtag Stranger Things 3. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to our Stranger Things 3 coverage. Uh, just a bit related there. We just talked about Stranger Things 3 where characters don't change very yeah, they don't much. don't really change and, or grow. Although David Chase has said that people don't change. So <laughs> who am I? Who am I to say that uh, characters need to change? But there is growth and change just within this episode in her because she reaches this breaking point which we all have to do in order to grow correct yes uh then we have silvio and his wife uh his wife's played by his real wife uh too i think we pointed this out before uh yes. but then we see silvio's kind of like ah Vito called me skip you know hey and might have been uh forced to have it but he didn't correct himself and they're kind of having this similar back and forth they had earlier in the episode of like oh maybe but you know things god forbid maybe i could be the boss and then bobby shows up he still wants a ruling on it's like the roseville track or something basically junior's um junior's previous business that who's it gonna get it is it gonna be bobby or is it gonna be Vito? silvio can't quite still make the discussion and then i think what does it immediately kind of cut to the next morning where he's being taken out in a in a in a stretcher or is that later i forget um basically it does although here's the thing about it like bobby i mean it's in Polly as well it's in Vito, and it's in all of them but it's like it really shows what a like spoiled uh sort of like weird child's person all of these mobsters has inside like the scene where he's like i'm going out of my fucking mind here like <laughs> andy timidans for now i didn't hear anything most yeah. is temporary shit i don't know <laughs> it's like i guess they're doing this because like can you imagine what happened if bobby talked like this to tony oh where he's yeah. like like they're doing it because they can but just the fact that they think this is the best way of resolving it and that silvio isn't putting a stop to it it's like I don't know. It's, I mean, it's funny, but it's also just like, fucking tell him to fuck off. Like, he does tell him to calm the fuck down and like, oh, I have to think and I have to, like, it's it's clear that making the decision in itself is hard on him and he's postponing things, but, like, there should be, like, just a reaction to coming here at night, as he says, and, like, instead he's, like, almost coughing and having a bit of an attack. It is later. We have the the scene with Melfi beforehand. That's right, What a... Like, you just lose respect well, for these uh, gangsters. <laughs> and I guess it ties into, as well, like, why Polly and Vito can think it's okay to not just deliver the package to Carmilla. Like, be- yeah. because of the fact that Silvio's not giving this strong, united, like, uh, confident, uh, you know, image. Like, yeah, if this was Tony and someone else and Tony had made an order, they w- there wouldn't even be talk behind the scenes of, like, 
eh, yeah, but what if, let's see how this goes. Then, you know, even though Silvio, like, kind of enjoys the idea of maybe being the boss, he's not projecting the proper image, and that's why things are kind of already going to shit a mere, like, a few days <laughs> into it. Uh, but yes, and then, then it goes into the Melfi and Carmela scene, which is uh, a lot of great stuff because... You know, it's this constant battle we've seen with Carmilla, and it's always kind of, kind of the most important—well, not the most important, most interesting um, part of her character, because it it does feel real. This back and forth of like, I know this is a bad situation, and I'm kind of profiting off of misery, but then it's like, I love living comfortably, and I love you know having wealth, and you know not real worries. Like, I mean, besides maybe we could be killed or my husband will be killed and we could be arrested. Uh, but, you know, this has been the constant struggle with her, even going back to one of the memorable moments is when she meets with that rabbi who basically tells her exactly what she needs to do, but it's easier said than done. And now she has more of a kind of acceptance and she admits that she's kind of always known that and maybe it's part of what's drawn her in, very similar to... Uh, when Lorraine Bracco played Karen in Goodfellas and she enjoyed yeah. when um, uh, Henry Hill beat the shit out of that guy, pistol whipped him and then gave her a knife to, to uh, not knife, a gun to hide. <clears throat> but now yeah. it's kind of about the kids, which the kids stuff felt a little late for the show because the, it seems like they've been adults for a long time. But I guess with everything coming to the surface and being in your face, they're on the news. It does seem like a more a logical thing should be she'd have to come face to face with and if people are complicit in what happens or not uh, now that they're adults aj is never going to be an adult jim yeah, come on very true um <laughs> but i yeah i mean i i didn't uh yeah i didn't have that reaction about them you know it being too late like her reaction to maybe i feel like she's felt like this all along and it's just yeah. realizing it now putting it into words that like the kids don't decide what they're born to which is so great because it takes everything she just said about like I accept my husband sort of I accept like I like that he's a bad person I like me being with him but then it's like but much like Tony I have my own brand of like inner self-resentment because you wouldn't like you wouldn't say that if you actually accepted who you were and who your husband was you wouldn't say like that your children are worse off having been born to you. So there's still that conflict there of, of going like they don't decide who they're born to, which is kind of, well, I don't know. It's a weirdly heartbreaking line. Well, it's also pure Carmilla that she then immediately says like, you know, with all the crooks out there, my husband's not the worst. So even yeah. though there's these moments of like clarity and like kind of seeing the bad part of yourself or your life or your life choices, there's still that part that's like, you know, you can you can debate it within yourself and be like, well, for the, you know, in the grand scheme of things, what about these fat cats on Wall Street that are ripping off everyone? You know, <laughs> like there's always something uh, that you could make it okay in your head. You know. Yeah. What about all these terrorists? Huh? Maybe yeah. uh, maybe Christopher will take some of them down <laughs> and it'll make him feel better about himself. Um, but yeah, she says that the longer the kids stay with them, the they they become like complicit. Which is almost like so the the fight with AJ. It's obviously because she's upset, but it's also like 
she feels that he's being tainted by proximity, but she's also defending herself internally and like yeah there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on here yeah yeah absolutely uh and i think it's interesting because i think it's like even she can't bring herself to say it but melfi's the one that brings up like that they're complicit and that i mean that's she knows that but it's one of those kind of going back to just not being able to say it or even like AJ saying uh, Anthony Soprano and not my father, yeah. like just those little self denials that you have, that everyone has. Um, and then, Oh, and then it's a great detail of like going back to when Carmilla, uh, you know, gave the speech to Tony with when he's, when she's playing the song and saying how she loves him, but then, okay, if he does make it through this, what if that's not quite as true because now it's like we're back in the reality of what our relationship yeah. was and what our life is. So yeah. Yeah. A lot of stuff to unpack, a lot of great stuff going on in this scene. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll breeze through a couple of scenes here cause there's some in quick succession. And um, so with that, we've already touched on basically all of them. Uh, we have Silvio getting wheeled out cause he's having like an asthma attack. He can't breathe. Uh, I like that we don't see it coming on. We just see the result of him like being wheeled out, and Bobby shows up, and he's like, "I didn't hear from you. What are we doing about this <laughs> yeah. division of the thing?" Even though he's being wheeled away, and then you know we're in uh, we're in the hospital. Vito's making his pitch, like I'm a healthy man, and all that, and talking to Carmilla as well, like being nice but not giving the money very much not given the money and of course she's not like thinking about this at all really in the moment um we have paulie showing up and his reaction is like Madon! like yeah. this is oh what like he's obviously over the top but he uh. does do his best to like have nice banter and a nice chat there which of course him being him just raises tony's heart rate <laughs> uh it's so hilarious because like meadow's giving him the whole spiel of like you know hey it's nice to go in there they talk you know we want to keep things positive and then he has that great delivery of like, like, uh, what the fuck? Or like, you know, like it's just immediately like uh, he can't believe how he looks. And I mean, it is bad timing. They're like draining like fluids from his wound or whatever. And he's in that he's in the hospital bed. And yeah, it's hilarious the way Polly just kind of getting into his life and his random bullshit is spiking Tony's heart rate and we see Kevin Finnerty or, you know, the, the Purgatoni uh, is, can hear him like muffled through the walls and he's like, can you shut up in there? He was, you know, banging on the walls trying to get information about the uh, Finnerty reunion. Uh, speaking of Finnerty, we do see Finn himself uh, <laughs> in the hospital with uh, Vito and they, they still have a nice little back and forth. And like how even Meadows still kind of like addresses it, like ah, don't worry about it. It's you know, don't it's fine. Don't don't worry about. He's harmless. Uh, yeah, he's harmless. They're all harmless. <laughs> no one's ever been harmed around here. They all just left. <laughs> yeah, they just left, or they turned state's evidence. Yeah, uh, I mean it's obviously bad enough what he knows, and then it's like he's trying to be boss now, and then Phineas Fogg shows up. Yeah, uh, Phineas Fogg. Yeah, but like. Going back to the the question at the beginning when I asked you about the Kevin Finnerty stuff, and yeah, it, it's it kind of has worn out its welcome a bit by in the beginning of the episode, and the monk stuff is a little whatever. But to me, this scene here, when we're at the the inn at the Oaks, it's 
perfect to me it's great yeah. i think it's such a great payoff it's so creepy it brings up that tone of uh the the tony's other dream we've mentioned it a few yeah. times when he goes up to the house and he sees livia inside uh and the way like there's like kind of some italian music lately playing and we're hearing the wind in the trees and of course like the little meadow voice and tony b or steve buscemi he's credited as just man uh in this episode mm. But, like, it gives me chills just thinking about it and the way Gandolfini's playing it because he does say I'm scared. For some reason, I'm scared, and I believe it because he almost is, like, kind of teary-eyed when he's just, like, asking questions and he's confused, but he knows, like, he's being pulled to this place, but he doesn't want to go. I just, I think it's, I think it's tremendous. I think it's great stuff. I mean, I I know your things on dreams, sequences and stuff. What, What did you take away uh, from this scene here. No, I think you're totally right. That's why it all makes sense when you look back at the episode and the previous one as a whole. I don't mind them going back to it. That's why I, I should emphasize again, I was like, at the start of the episode, I was like, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a fantastic scene and a great way to deliver him back into the real world. And this is where... Because, like, most of the time when we are talking about David Chase earlier and, like, it's between heaven and hell, and I'm just thinking about the Buddhists, like, ha, 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 we're all trees. And I'm like, yeah, sure, David, yeah, sure. But then you're here, and it's like, oh, yeah, no, it actually, you do feel that in this scene, definitely. Like, if I had just watched this scene and then you asked me, then I'd be like, I'm, I'm going to go pray right now. Yeah. <laughs> this is some uh, real spiritual shit going on. And, uh, yeah, he hears... Here's Meadow kind of going like, don't go, daddy, because she's there in the room and the wind. And and then he then he, he does wake up. He decides not to go. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic uh, scene, actually. Well, and yeah, and kind of going back into the um, uh, from the premiere, the Seven Souls montage at the beginning, a lot of people do point out that... Um, Number three in that is the guardian angel, and it, that's when it shows Meadow. And I guess that kind of yeah. ties in here because, in a way, she kind of brings him back. And just the tension of the scene of like, it's two guys like not really fighting, but you know who's going to get the briefcase and should I bring up the briefcase? But to me, it's like so tense of like, oh my god, like don't let go. And the way like Buscemi keeps like looking at it and reaching for it, but not not in a like yanking it type of way, but like, oh hey, you know, I'll just take that for you. And then he's, you know, Tony's walking towards the house, but he doesn't let go of it. And then it almost seems like maybe he lets like a few fingers off, and yeah. you're like, ah, no, don't do that. Um, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's it's fucking great stuff. And I do have, um, let me go back to the Soprano sessions real quick, where they talk about kind of some of this scene or just in general, they ask him, you know, what did having Junior shoot Tony do for the story uh, for Tony, for Junior? Would that give you as a writer? And he just talks about, well, it gave us a whole other look at Tony and a whole bunch of different stories that we never would have had. Um, I think the best thing to come out of it was the two shows about the alternate universe or whatever you want to call it. Although I shouldn't call it that. <laughs> uh, it's not a dream. <laughs> But I guess you could actually say alternate universe. I was really proud of those two episodes. We never would have had anything like that, obviously. Uh, they also uh, talks about Junior, but um, yeah, and he mentions you know John Patterson was sick with cancer. He was dying. We kind of already went over that. Um, and he was, mentions that you know I'd read the Snow Leopard, so a lot of things from that book are in those episodes, like the monks 
and the Ojibwe saying, which we do see uh, in the scene with Chris. The Sometimes I go about in pity for myself, and all the while a great wind carries me across the sky. Now, Alan Seppenwall kind of relates that to, if you look at that saying, it's like a fancy way of saying poor you. Uh, which we, oh. you know, as we know, uh, throughout the show. Poor you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, that's AJ's from last time, right? Yeah, I finally got AJ's. Poor you. Uh, but Let's David, hear them all. Do you want to hear them all oh, again? this quote. Yeah. Yes, play them all. All right. Oh, poor you. Yes. Poor you. Oh, poor you. <laughs> poor you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, bingo. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, but, go, continue. but then Chase kind of flips that a bit and he says, you know, but I take it very as a very inspiring, supported statement. Not so much poor you, but the fact that there's some force carrying me across the sky. I really like that mm. thought. And in our house in France, of course, he has a house in France. Uh, when I was reading that book, we had a cliff on our property that was about, I don't know, 200 feet above the river. It was at the top of a mountain or something. And all these nice breezes were coming back and forth. Uh, it's like the country, like the woods, the combination of those things is very pungent for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like, especially with Tony, Tony's very much a person that goes about with pity for himself. You know, that's kind of what yeah. this whole show is about, but you forget yeah. about this, you know, this great force or this, uh, you know, this great wind that carries you across the sky, like the Ojibwe say. Yeah. The happy wanderer might not have as much of a gust in his winds, you know. Oh, yeah. sorry, in his sails. <laughs> you get it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, so, well, in both of these, like the other dream we we referenced, such great uses of uh, Livia and how she's still such a great shadow in a way yeah. on Tony and on the show, uh, even not being a physical presence since she was CGI'd on a head <laughs> in season three. Uh, yeah. But again, I can't speak enough about this scene. Like, it really kind of, it almost like got me to well up a little bit. And it's just this like scene of a guy, should he go into this this house or not? Uh, but obviously there's much more behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I don't have anything to add because mm -hmm. I think you nailed it. Um, we do have a couple of scenes to tie up the episode here. Um, obviously he's, he wakes up. Uh, Vito's very worried, eating his <laughs> carrots. Uh, now, all of a sudden, him and Polly's like, holy shit, we got to get the money real fast. And they're like allies again, because before they're kind of like, oh, no, you take this much, I take that much. And now it's like, shit, we got to get this to Carmilla. And they do, and she sees the look on their faces as they're going away, uh, which is a great scene. Well, and it's such a great line from her when she's like, I don't know how you do it <laughs> when she comes in there, because he is still, he can't talk, he can't do anything, but he still has this aura this thing that Silvio definitely doesn't have that makes everyone go like, holy shit, we got to get this sorted. He's still alive. <laughs> well, and Polly's rationale is great because he, he's like, you know, people have been talking to him for all we know. He's expecting that money. Like, <laughs> like someone like he's in the coma and people are bringing up like, Oh, we got this great score T don't worry. Like Silvio was yeah. in there. Like, don't worry. We got a nice piece coming to Carmilla. And, and that's what Polly's worried about that. Maybe Tony already knows. Uh, and that's yeah. again, yeah. Like to, in contrast to what they thought of Silvio, Tony is this this force. Uh, I do want to call it too that she uh, Meadow does say when he opens his eyes, "Dad, look here, you are." And I guess I mean, that kind of answers his question, like, "Where am I going?" Um, 
And then even when everyone's happy when they get the announcement that he's awake, it they do we do see Vito that's kind of a little bummed out because it's like he really thought he was gonna be the boss. Um, yeah. And then plus Tony's comment like he he thinks he's dead, like he asked Carmilla, like I'm dead, right? Um, yeah. And then yeah, then we have the scene with Tony and Chris where we get the saying, and it's kind of encapsulates a lot of the episode because kind of a selfish thing what chris is doing because he knows like tony can't speak or react so he chooses this moment to be like you know oh, i'm gonna get back in the movie biz and then he brings up yeah you know you owe me because of the adriana thing but tony like he's not there he's not like in the moment he's fucking all up on like uh like drugs and painkillers and just waking up out of a coma so it's it's great yeah he's uh He's really not uh, present at all. And much like, would he have even done this if Tony wasn't like this? Like you said, it's a great opportunity to do it. Then Carmilla comes in and says, like, I don't know. I don't know how you do it. And, yeah, leaves me like she she dabs at his lips with some moisture or whatever. I'm st- like, I'm more concerned about Tony in this moment than I was in the last episode. Because last episode, I'm like, ah, he's going to bounce back. He's fine. And now I'm like, oh, shit, Tony does not look right. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I, I did think about this previously as well. Are we going to have a Hank Schrader type? Like, oh, I'm going to be in a wheelchair for a bit or I'm going to limp or whatever. And how is this going to affect the business and the family and the family? Like, so I'm, I'm thinking about that a bit as the episode wraps up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that moment, you'd already brought it up, but when Vito and Polly like, are giving Carm the, the fake, like, ah, this is so great, here's the money, ah, this is awesome, and then when she turns back and sees them in the elevator and they're so bummed that they had to, yeah. <laughs> they had to give money to her and that Tony, like, I guess the fact that Tony made it through, that's a bum out for them. Uh, yeah, it, it, it makes complete sense that Carmilla has to marvel at the, the wonders of Tony Soprano. Much like AJ might imagine that there's no wall between his parents as far as information because he's on the outside of both of those, uh, it feels like people in his mob family might not be aware that Tony doesn't want Carmilla to have even a fucking thousand dollars for whatever. He keeps her on a tight leash and they're all of a sudden like, shit, Tony would want us to give a hundred thousand to Carmilla or whatever. Like, no, no, he he actually doesn't want that at all. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So yeah, Tony's back, but is he back? Is this a different Tony? Tune in to find out. Ooh, scary. Uh, last episode, I was like, oh, this is definitely going to happen next time. And then I was totally wrong. So I won't go, Jim, it's clearly not a different Tony, but I guess we're going to find out. What did you think of these episodes? I thought they were a great start to uh, the final season. But let us know what you thought by emailing us at showswhatyouknowshow at gmail.com. Once again, showswhatyouknowshow at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, showswhatyouknow.com, for coverage on all sorts of shows. How many times can I say shows? Well, well I guess we will find out at showswhatyouknow.com. Anything else, Jim? Uh, I guess there's just one more important thing. Oh, what's that? Cut to black. 